from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, welcome again. We're glad you're with us today. If you're here, uh, maybe visiting or hanging out with us because somebody that you knew or loved was getting baptized, I just want to say, man, it's a joy to have you today. And um, we've been studying this book of 1 Corinthians and kind of journeying through it a little bit, kind of chapter by chapter, kind of taking some broad picture look happening in the, uh, in the text, kind of the big themes along. And I want to invite you to turn with me today to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but mostly chapter 6 is where we're going to be. I'll reference chapter 5 a little bit, and maybe you didn't bring a copy of Scripture with you. That's all right. Uh, pull out your phones. Go to faithchurchks.org, and right there on the central hub, there's a spot where uh, it says sermon notes. You can click that and follow right along with us, and that'll be a, a wonderful uh, way for you to kind of track along with us. And, and we've said kind of from the onset that 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, and it's kind of like a master class, like the best YouTube tutorial on how to live a Christian life. Like this is like you want to follow along because he's giving us some real practical, real specific um, kind of ideas on how to follow Jesus and how to live a life as a Christ follower, not like a half court follower but a full court participant in the life of Christ. And uh, I believe that Christianity is not just a belief system. I believe that, that Christianity is something that we embody and we live out. It's not just some doctrine, ideology that we subscribe to, but rather it is truth that we kind of allow to touch the deepest parts of our heart and life and we embody the truth and the life of Jesus in the world in which we live. In whatever context we find ourselves. And the Apostle Paul was writing to this church in a very specific context about some very specific things. But they have correlations and they relate well to much of what we face in our modern society. In our modern world and in the day-to-day Lives. I believe that belief should lead us to a place that it really begins to inform our daily practice, our daily habits, our, our everyday kind of behavior and, and life. It, it kind of starts like this idea of belief motivates us a little bit to, to really begin to take a step and belong. That's what water baptism, it's this moment where those have, have, have kind of wrestled through and they kind of come to a conclusion about some of the things that they believe specifically about the man Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. 
And that belief leads them to a place where they're willing and they're ready to say, I want to belong to the family of God. I want to be a part of the church. I want to walk as Jesus. I want him to be my Lord, my Savior. And, and they're making a commitment, a pledge of allegiance to Jesus as now their King and their Lord. And they're beginning a process of saying, how I live my life is going to honor and reflect God. And here in 1 Corinthians especially towards the end of chapter 6, Paul is really beginning to turn a corner and really beginning to write and get really, really clear and specific and precise about some things as it relates to our day-to-day -day behavior and lifestyle that must honor God. Some truths that we really need to believe to our heart, and those beliefs can propel us into some life. And, and, and family. Now, now for those of you uh, parents in the room, if you've got some young kids, um, over the next few weeks, some of the subject matter that the Apostle Paul gets into might require earmuffs for little ears. Um, we're not going to sugarcoat what the Bible says or talks about. And so um, if you want to kind of peek what chapter 5, 6, 7, 8 uh, are kind of about topically, might be a good idea. And if you're not ready to have some uh, more mature conversation with your children, I highly recommend kids ministry. And if you're watching online, uh, utilizing our kids experience on demand for the next few weeks, you have been warned. 1 Corinthians 6, I want to start in verse, uh, in verse 12 today as we kind of launch into some subject matters and some uh, kind of read what I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to help us to understand some truths as we embody the life of Jesus in our world. It, it says this, uh, starting verse 11 says, And that was what some of you were, past tense, but you were also washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You can do nothing to wash to cleanse, to sanctify, or justify your own life in the court of heaven except through Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the one way by which we believe and then are saved. He goes on to say in verse 12, I, I have the right to do anything, you say. This was a phrase that they would say all the time. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, it says. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both. In other words, it doesn't really matter what I do, what I eat, how I live, what I do with my body. It's my body, my... Some of you are like, is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? Nope. You already filled in the blank. I get to do whatever I want with my body because it's my body. It doesn't matter. It's all going to die anyways. And one day, if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to get a resurrected body. So hallelujah, I'm going to put in my order for what I want that one to be looking like. What if it looks the same? It's just fully redeemed and healthy. But he, he's trying to get us to understand something that, that, that what we often say and what the church in Corinth said is, is I have the right to do whatever I want. Can, can I let you in on a little secret? You do. You do. It's your choice. The attitude you live with, your choice. The actions that you take, totally your choice. The patterns and the habits and the practice and how you lead your family, completely your choice. 
Paul is writing and saying, you've got the right to do a lot of things, but, but is everything really beneficial? Is everything really the better way in which to walk? He goes on to say, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, the Apostle Paul uses this word sexual immorality, and we think it means maybe like one thing. It's actually, in the original language, a very broad category where he's talking about anything that is done in an intimate way, sexual way, outside of the, the confines, the construct of what they understood Genesis to reveal to us, which was one man, one woman under the covenant of marriage. Anything beyond that falls into this category. And, and that's really all he's trying to say. It's, like, it's a broad category. It could mean a lot. It's kind of like a catch-all phrase to let you know anything outside of like those uh, lines, those bumper lanes in your life get you into the gutter of some things that fall out of God's best for your life. He goes on to say, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise you up. He's starting to talk about end time things, talk about the new heaven and the new earth, and he circles back to this thought in chapter 15, and we're going to talk a little bit about what happens after you die and what, what happens in the new heaven and the new earth. What does that look like? We're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible talks about, and he's kind of hinting at some of these things, saying, listen, your body is actually something that God's going to raise back up. He's going to raise it back up later, and he says, uh, he goes on to say, shall I then take the member of Christ and unite him with a prostitute? Never, in case you were wondering what the answer to that question was. No, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body? For it is said that the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Don't miss this. This is the big part of what he's trying to get you to understand is that your life, your belief system, ought to include an understanding that you embody the very life of God with you. And you don't get to compartmentalize, this is my church body and my rest of the week body. This is my church life and how I live and act and what I do, and this is what I do Monday through Saturday. No, no, he's, he's, you know, don't you understand, like, when you said yes to Jesus, you invited him to, to be the Lord of your life. You invited literally his spirit to be. Like there's this unit, unity that happens. There's this pursuit and this connection. And this is why it's never just casual encounters that you get to have, single or otherwise. It always attaches you in some way. There's always strings attached. There's always something that binds you to another person. There's always something that binds you in a way that helps you know that it's not just about the moment. It carries on well beyond the moment. He goes on to say in verse 18, therefore flee. Somebody say flee. That means run. Like the opposite direction, get out of town, take off, not like the little bloodsucker that sticks to your body. That's not that kind of flee. No, it's like flee from sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits are outside the body. Don't miss this. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. He would write, Paul would later write to the church in Rome, and in Romans chapter 12 in scripture, it tells us that Paul goes, takes this thought a little bit further, and he says, hey, listen, I want you to take every component of your life and, and offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, where this is your reasonable act of service. In other words, he's, he's trying to get you to understand that like in you is Christ, so therefore everywhere you go, Christ is going with you. And he wants you to understand that, that how you treat the person who is taking your order at the restaurant today that the Spirit of Christ is going with you and your really terrible, grumpy, entitled attitude. He's wanting you to know that he wants you to take your everyday, ordinary, walking, talking, living life and live with the perspective and the filter that says, am I honoring God in this moment with what I'm physically doing? This is what Paul is trying to help us understand. He wants you to honor God with your body. Now, can I, can I be really honest with you for a second? Not that I'm never unhonest. I just got to get something off my, my mind and, and heart for a minute. There are some things in the Bible I wish weren't in there. Like, like I really kind of wish there were some things that weren't in there. I wish there were some things that God says you don't have to do. Like, I wish it was really, really clear who I have to forgive and who I don't have to forgive. Like, that would be really, really helpful. Like, what's the line exactly, Lord? Like, unfortunately, he's really, really clear about what that line is. Oh, yeah, if somebody sins against you, yep, yeah, that's, that qualifies as forgivable. Yeah, yeah, but I don't like that. It doesn't matter. It still qualifies as forgivable. Like, I, I really wish some of those things weren't in there. I really wish that there were more, like, like it's, it's like golf. I've used golf a couple weeks now as an analogy. I think one day I'm going to do an entire sermon collection on biblical lessons from the golf course. Like, I've got a running note already in my phone of things God teaches me, sometimes the hard way, sometimes the fun way, about him and the life of God through the game of golf. But there's like one rule, there's several rules in golf I don't like, but one rule in golf that I wish wasn't there, and I like to take the authority in my own life and say, eh, it's my scorecard, I don't really care. Like, here's the rule, though, like, just, just honest, right? Like, here's, here's, the, here's the rule that, that I, one of the rules I really, really hate. If you are walking up to your ball, it's called addressing the ball, and, and if you're walking up to your ball and your ball moves, you lose a stroke. That's a penalty. Like, you set your club down, and it's not even touching the ball. But if the ball just like, whoop, a little bit, that's a stroke. Like, that just seems like unreasonable to me. Like, my motive was not to swing. Why does it count as a swing? I haven't even swung. I'm just like setting the club down, ball moves, you lose a stroke. There have been people who have lost entire tournaments and lost out on millions of dollars because of this one rule. I wish it wasn't there. 
but I didn't write the rules of golf. And I didn't write the rules of life. And I think this is an understanding that we have to come to, that even though we don't like it, and sometimes we don't see it, and we're not understanding it, there's something that, that shifts. And I believe that God is, is coming to us today through the words of Paul, and he's wanting us to understand, number one, honor God with your body. I could say honor God with your life, but I think it's important that we talk about the body. Honor him with your, in other words, take everything you're doing and honor him. Jesus said it like this. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, we could take that as to mean, if you really love me, you'd prove it and you'd obey and you'd never mess up and you'd always be perfect and it would be wonderful and then we'd all live happily ever after, but... You don't obviously love me. Like, it's not some manipulation of God. Jesus wasn't manipulating you. Instead, I think what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, listen, listen. guys, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Parents who have seen your children go, grow up and out of the house, and uh, you, you've witnessed this, right? Maybe, maybe your, uh, your son, as he was growing up, was really, really messy and dirty. And you and your, your spouse were always, hey, you need to clean your room. Hey, you need to clean out the car. Hey, you need to take a shower. No, really, you should fix your hair like it really is a good idea to put on some deodorant. Please, for the love of God, take another shower. Like, like you're always, and they, like they never do it on their own. And oftentimes they lie to you and say, oh, no, no, I took care of that. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, no, I got it clean. It's good. And then you go like open the closet door. What is this? Right? Like, and it's an uphill battle all the time until they meet a girl. And all of a sudden, something switches in them, and they're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually put some product in my hair, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start going to the gym, I'm going to work out a little bit, I need, I need to go to Walmart and buy some of that smell good stuff so I don't smell so bad, right? Like, and they're like going all out and all on it, and you're like, what is happening? I've been trying to get you to clean out your car and clean up your room and to iron your shirt and to do these things for years. What's the difference? Has the rule changed? Has the benefit changed? No. But something in them has sparked some love, and that's causing them to change. As we read the words of Paul, I think it's important that we remember the words of Jesus. So when Paul says, honor God with your body, we need to remember that we really ought to be loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the call of the people of God, is to follow after God, to Love has a way of motivating our lifestyle towards a way of honor, but for many of us, we live with a dishonorable view of ourselves, therefore we don't honor God or other people. I was looking at some statistics, and there's this uh, phrase that is used often in our world today talking about body shaming, and according to one survey, 93% of women and 83% of men report experiencing body shame. I wonder if we stop taking care of our bodies in their entirety and stop thinking about honoring God with our bodies, both what is seen and unseen, because we have yet to experience the love of God that helps us see ourselves the way he sees us. And I think we need to learn to honor God with all that we are, all that we have, and 
for many of us, it's just this one lie and deceit that has bred distrust of the things of God to the things of God to where we no longer recognize or realize that we need to honor God with our body because it is the spirit who lives among us that bonds us together and abides among us. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Now that word you, we read as like me individual. But in the original language, it's not you individual. It's you collective are the body of Christ, the temple of God. And among you is the spirit of God. In other words, among you is a bonded understanding that your life and my life as followers of Jesus are linked together. And if we're going to experience the fullness of the spirit among us, it's going to cause us to think with an understanding that this Christian walk is not an individual sport. It is a collective commitment to we, the body of Christ, living in a way that honors God with our body. It has personal implications, but it is profoundly connected. Why? Because it is the Spirit who bonds us together and bides among us. And, and Paul is really making a case for us to understand it. And we don't understand, I think, proper Christian ethic living a life of of godly ethic and honor because perhaps we don't have the right filter for determining what is the right moral decision or not. One one author and uh, one, one, one theologian writes and talks about how anytime you're trying to identify a proper Christian ethic, you need to keep three key thoughts at the forefront of your mind. And these three thoughts are this. Number one, you have to think about Think about it in terms of the community of God. In other words, if you're trying to decide what is right and wrong, what you should do or shouldn't do, what is right and what is beneficial for you to do in your life, how you honor God with your body, you have to first think with an understanding of community. Not just you yourself in isolation, but you connected to other people of God, following God, and how it impacts them and how it applies into them and to the, to, to the greater work of the family and the church of God. In other words, it's not about you all by yourself because what you do impacts other people. Why? Because we are bonded together by the Spirit. We're bonded together by the Spirit. So he says you have to filter it through, number one, how does this impact? What does this mean for the community and the people of God? Number two, you have to think about it in terms of the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus and what it bought, what it did, what it accomplished, how he took your place in the punishment line. And he atoned for your life and my life. We, we have to filter it through the cross. Is, is this an understanding, a correct understanding of the cross as, as I'm beginning to make this decision? And finally, the third is new creation. That he's created you new. You have a new nature, a new creation nature to act in a different way. And there will one day be a new world, a new heaven and a new earth that we participate in for all eternity. In the end of time, I don't believe that we're all sitting on clouds in diapers playing harps. And I don't believe it's an eternal church service. I believe that there's something more to the new heaven and the new earth. And having this understanding that when I got saved by Jesus, when I was washed, when I put my faith in Jesus, there is something new on the inside. Which means that I have a new operating system on how I think feel and act and that has to inform 
my, my, my Christian ethic. Because we are the body, and his spirit wants to live among us, and we want to honor God with our body, with the things we say, the things that we do, the things that we think. And what we do in our body impacts our spiritual reality. To some degree, it impacts us. In other words, I think what Paul is trying to get us to understand is, is that when we sin with our bodies, we begin to sever a relationship. We, we begin to, to feel a, a, a separation in our life. We begin to feel a heart that grows harder and harder over time. The, the more we sin and the less we repent, the, the, the ability to feel this connection and closeness to God feels like it's severed. It's, it's separating us. It keeps us from this, this connection with God, this life of God, the relationship with God. 1 John 3 verse 4 says it like this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Let me define these two words for us. Can, can I do that? And I think we throw these words around, and I think for many people who have ever grown up in church, we've grown, like, triggered by the word sin. So much so that we don't want to use it or like it used about our lives. Like, we've got, like, this, oh, no, don't say, oh, like, we get, like, triggered in some way. I don't think we should. Because our sin ought to lead us to a real encounter with the Savior. And until we're honest about sin, we'll never get honest in a relationship with our Savior. And so this idea of sin and lawlessness, and, and he says, he who practices sinning. What are we talking about all year long as the, as, as the church? Our, our theme word is the word what? Practice. When we're talking about practicing following God, practicing our faith, and here he's giving us the antithesis. He's saying, listen, those who practice sinning are practicing lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Let me give you some, some definitions. What is sin? Sin is a, in the original language, it's an archery definition to simply mean you missed the mark. There was something done, something said, an attitude, an action, a life, whatever, and it misses the bullseye. It missed the mark. That's what it means. I, I missed the mark. Nope, missed it. I blew it there. I missed the mark. It's missing the mark, yes, but, but I also want us to think about this in terms, but sin is also a broad term used to describe an attitude or an action that is ultimately harmful to you and harmful to others. This is why we can't stop acknowledging and being honest about this reality of sin because it's harmful to you. It's harmful to others and often damages the reputation of a loving God and a holy God. It distorts the image of God in the people's eyes. What is lawlessness? You might be sitting there thinking, well, lawlessness, those are the people who like don't abide by the law, right, pastor? Wrong. It's actually not what the Bible's trying to articulate. Lawlessness is not ignoring laws Lawlessness is not living without any care about the law. Like, yeah, I don't really care. Lawlessness, through these biblical definitions, when you look at it and you really study it out, it, it's this. It is living as if you get to write your own law. So if sin misses the mark, lawlessness goes up and draws the bullseye wherever it wants.
Did I mention I don't like certain rules in the game of golf? I don't get to draw my own bullseye about what is and what isn't in reality. Same in my life. Same in my spiritual walk. Same in what it looks like to be a part of the family of God. To live with lawlessness is just to simply say, I get to write my own laws. This is what happened in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You remember the story? They were there and they were lied to about the love of God in such a way that it caused them to say, you know what, you're right, God is holding out on us. I need to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and, in other words, I'm going to be smart enough to decide what is good and what is evil on my own. The very original sin was the sin of lawlessness. To say, I get to, I get to make my own laws, I get to do what I want, and they decided to determine what was their own right and wrong. And, and, and the church in Corinth was having the same issue. They were coming to faith in God and they lived some wild and crazy lives. If you missed us talking about all of the problems and the realities of the culture, go back and listen to the very first one of, of this collection. I, I walk us through historically what, what their problems were and what was the reality of their life. And at the end of the day, here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to worship God just like they worshiped any other God, which simply meant they wanted to add him into their life rather than submitting their life to him. They wanted to form a God in their own image, their own life. They wanted to keep on living their old way of living and just add Jesus into the mix. And that's not what it looks like to follow God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It requires a real understanding of repentance, and, and a real understanding of repentance is, is essentially taking the fruit and putting it back on the tree, saying, I'm not going to determine what is right and wrong in my own life. I'm going to allow God to be God and determine what is right and wrong in my own life. I'm just, just going to put it back on the tree. That's biblical repentance, to recognize that I'm going to let God be God and not me create my own laws that suit my own life. Corinth was having all these same issues. They wanted to worship God, but also live their own agenda, their own way, their own pattern of living. And so they started suing each other all, the, all over the place. Lawsuits were happening. Chapter 5, uh, ch the beginning of chapter 6, you start reading about all of these lawsuits that they were happening. And Paul's like, is there no one among you as followers of Jesus who have a, have a common understanding of what God's rule and reign is that can help mediate between these disputes that you're having? Now, I don't believe Paul was writing off and saying you should, there, there's never a place for getting the courts involved. Because I do believe that there, are, there is an opportunity. There are some reasons. When, when somebody needs to help bring in protection that they don't have the authority to protect a life anymore, the courts, I think, need to step in. When there's real justice that needs to be served, there are some things there. But he's talking about civil petty matters in their life. And he wasn't saying that if you're in a dispute with an unbeliever that you shouldn't go to court. No, you need to go to court. Why? Because the only common standard among you and an unbeliever is not the Bible, but it is the, the local laws. And so he's saying, listen, I'm talking about amongst your people, the person that you're sitting next to in church, you're suing them. Can't you like take it to the church and actually figure out a way to reconcile your differences without suing them? Where's your forgiveness? Where's your common courtesy? Where's your love? Where's, what's the deal, y'all? And he addresses these conflicts. He addresses sexual sin. One of the people in the church was sleeping with a stepmom. In our day and age, we're like, I don't know, it kind of seems normal sometimes. 
I, don't, I, I mean, our world's kind of crazy. Well, think of it like a, a, a dad who was living with a 14-year-old stepdaughter. That strikes us a little bit different. That was the egregiousness of what was happening. And we don't know why it was happening. There's, I read some commentaries this week that kind of took some educated guesses as to why, but at the end of the day, what Paul was really getting at, it was like, you've got all this stuff happening among you and nobody's talking about it, nobody's confronting it, nobody's, no, no one's actually grieving the fact that we're just sinning and calling it okay. We're just doing whatever we want and it's okay. You're just writing your own rules and calling it following Jesus. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And he wants to dwell and live among you. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, he says it like this. Or don't you know that wrongdoers, wrongdoers refers back to those that 1 John talked about who practice sinning on a regular basis. Like on the regular, they're just continually doing wrong and they have rewritten the own law in their own mind and life and they don't really care. They're living by their own code and there is no more piercing in their heart. There is no more sorrow of their sin. They become dead again to sin in their heart. He writes and he says, wrongdoers, don't you know that those kind of people, they're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he adds this long kind of a, a list of sins of lawlessness that we often create because we want to make our own rules and our own laws. I wish I had time to walk you through all of these, what they actually mean. But let me see if I can't read them really fast. You guys listen really quick, and I'll read them. Sexually immoral. Again, he's talking about adultery, homosexuality, and any act outside of the defined one man, one woman under the bond of marriage. So if there are any activity going on in your life that doesn't fall into that category, perhaps the Lord is here today saying, hey, quit defining your own ways and define don't you recognize that something is happening in your body and it matters? He goes on to talk about idolaters. There are two words used for idolatry in the New Testament. One means the image or the practical carving of worship. That's not what he's talking about here. The other means that we follow the spirit, attitudes, ethics, and the ways of a false ideology in God. Greedy, covet, money is power. To covet something that isn't yours, money is, it, it becomes a god. Jesus said it like this, you can't serve both God and money. And this idea of greed is this idea that you live with your life, more is always what I need. I need more. It doesn't matter what it is, I need more. I need more of it. 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 And, and, and we're living with a greedy heart, and we don't even feel like it's greedy. It's just second nature to us. We covet people's possessions, or oftentimes, I think sometimes we just covet other people's stage of life. Oh, I wish I had their life. I wish I had their wife. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their, I, I wish I didn't have kids this age anymore. I wish my kids were older. I wish this, I wish that. And we're living discontent, greedy for something that isn't ours, that God hasn't given to us. Drunkards, we've blurred the lines in our society and in the church 
to where we just simply think, as long as I'm not stumbling around as an idiot, I'm okay. But the line of drunkenness is a different line in Scripture. It's any moment you now lower your filter and no longer have self-mastery because of the chemicals now operating. Is the Bible saying don't drink alcohol? No. The Bible gives you room based on your conscience, your ability, and knowing your own life that if you want to enjoy a, a beverage, that's something you get to do. But there is a fine line scientifically between enjoying something and, and then all of a sudden having your inhibitions lower just enough to where it impairs and it hurts harms your judgment to where what you used to get angry what you used to not be angry about now all of a sudden you're angry about that's the line you crossed it and God says that misses the mark what I have for you in your life slanderers or revilers these are people who use abusive speech critical and angry speech they're cutting and insulting with their sarcasm this one Y'all, um, this is what got me this week. Got me. I was studying it out. Like, sarcasm is like a third language for me. Like, English tone sarcasm. Like, those are the three for me. You're critical with your words. Cutting down other people's. Insulting kind of sarcasm. Gossips. Talking negatively about someone while they are not present. Uh, attempting to motivate somebody by cutting them down. This is a slanderer and a reviler. This is what it means. This is the definition of it. This is the target of it. And, it, and this one, this, this is where it got me. This one especially impacts our kids. Why? Because naturally a child's heart is open to you. They don't have a filter to distinguish between an action that they did that was wrong and who they are. So the more critical and negative and sarcastic we are, their heart cannot filter and process the two correctly. They find themselves in a place where like, man, that must be who I am. Swindlers, those who extort, blackmail, or manipulate other people to give you a better deal. Swindlers, thievery, dishonest, business practices, where you sell a home, but you don't fully disclose all of the realities of that home. Dishonesty about it all. Unforgiveness falls into this category of being a swindler. If I had time, I'd use this rope as an illustration, but I don't have time. And I'd stretch it across, and I would talk about how every time we just continue to sin, and we don't repent, and we don't recognize it as sin, we don't call it sin, we just slowly begin to cut and sever the relationship that bonds us together with each other and with God. We just we slowly sever it over time. It doesn't happen all at once. Why? Because you can sin and not receive punishment immediately from God. And then we think, it must be okay. I got away with it. I drove 
10 miles over, right past that trooper. He didn't stop me. I'm all right. We just keep going. We just keep going. We just keep going. The church in Corinth, similar to perhaps the church in America, had grown so arrogant that they were living lawlessly, thinking that what was freedom, thinking that what was sin is actually their own freedom. It's called sloppy grace. Defining it how you want. Go go back and read at the very beginning of chapter 5. Paul Paul says it right there in, in the text. He says, why are you so proud about this? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning over this sin? Friends, I I think this week, if we're going to put anything into practice, can I I offer us a a few thoughts? Then we'll come to the cross. Can can we just start calling it sin? Can, Can we just start calling our own stuff sin? My wife called it out in me last night. We were driving back from St. Louis. And she was like, I, I don't, we were talking. She was incredibly tender. And she was just saying, I, on the way out here, like, you, you're just speeding. Like, I didn't even think, like, you've been speeding a lot. Like, what, does it not even, like, bother you that you're speeding? My wife is a pretty strict rule follower. Like, she's like, rules are her thing. I like to write whatever score I want on my golf cart. Tells you where I live. She's like, that doesn't even bother you anymore? I've just severed it so much. I don't even feel it. The conviction is gone. I'm not going to get pulled over for going five over. They never do that. But they have the right to do it. I don't get to define five over as not speeding. Because last time I checked, the sign that said speed limit, 65, meant speed limit is 65. I'm not, hear me, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I think it's time that we start calling sin actually, I don't know, sin. I think not only do we need to, to acknowledge that it's sin, I think we need to, number two, we have to be willing to call on, a, on the Holy Spirit to transform our desires so that we no longer even want to sin. Call it sin, call on the Spirit, and number three, call a friend. You have to call it, don't call everybody. Don't be putting your junk on Facebook. And we ain't nobody got time to read that. Like, call one friend, talk to your one spouse, right? And just get honest. And ask them to invite, invite them into the process. Friends, I I want nothing more than the times that we gather to be saturated with the Spirit and the presence of God. Don't you know that we're the body of Christ? That we are the temple of God? So why don't we start honoring God with our own bodies? Would you stand with me? Grab your communion.
Go ahead and open it up. Y'all forgive me. I'm having a moment with the Lord. At home, if you grab your elements. I just apologize. If you, if you go, when you go pick up your kids in a little bit, like tell the workers you love them and that pastor's sorry. Would you, would you just... Some things are too important to cram into a one-hour service. You're like, well, that's been one hour and ten minutes. I know. We're coming to the table of the Lord to partake, don't miss this, of his body that was broken. So that when we receive the juice that forgives our sins and the bread that heals our brokenness, we can now embody the message in the life of Christ. This is what justifies us before God. This is what allows His Spirit to remain in us even on the weeks where we totally screw it up. See, it's the Son of God who comes to redeem and restore and reunite us together through the cross. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. Close your eyes as I read these words. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were bought at a price. So let's honor God as a body with our bodies. Lord, today as we come to the cross, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply what we need to have applied. Remove, Lord, help us, help us focus on what it is that we can do this week. And Lord, if anyone in the sound of my voice today heard a message of legalism to do it better, that your performance brings you to a place of perfection, Lord, and right standing with God, God, I pray that you would silence that lie because that's the other pit that we fall into. One ditch is lawlessness, the other ditch is legalism, and neither of them bring us into right relationship with you. So God, would you help us to focus on Jesus, the Son, who died and was buried. And Lord, as we receive the bread and the juice, would you bring healing to our bodies and forgiveness to our spirits and help us to live practicing our faith, not practicing a life of lawlessness and sin. Let's take the bread together. And now the juice. Holy Father, I pray that you would unite us again in your spirit. Lord, for those of us who need to take moments and just repent and say, God, I, I repent of this and that. And, when we put the fruit back on the tree to where we are not calling our own shots of good and evil, but we're choosing to submit and follow your way of your word and your truth. Lord, some of us today, our commitment just simply needs to be to discover what your word says. And so we're going to do the Bible binge. We're going to jump in and we're going to do it. Some of us, God, we need to stop and we call on you as the Holy Spirit of God to change the very desires so we don't even want to sin anymore. Father, I pray that today you would seal these moments in our hearts. And 
Lord, if anybody in the sound of my voice is here and they know they need prayer, they, they just need to talk with somebody and pray with somebody, Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to, to just reach out in the chat right now or as soon as we dismiss to come over here to the prayer spot and just seal this moment with prayer and allow your spirit to touch us in a profound way. Lord, I pray that today we could go out and be your body. This week we could live in a way that honors you both publicly and privately. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all the people of God said, Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.